Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. Now, today, we are going to be finishing up the chapter that we started last week, The Forbidden Forest. And we really do have a lot to cover in the second half of this chapter, so we're going to meet some new people. It's going to be a crazy time as we get to actually dive into the forest as the chapter title itself alludes to. However, before that, just some things to talk about. We have started watching the reunion episode. We haven't finished it yet, going through it slowly. It is pretty good so far, and I was actually very surprised to see that they did include some of J.K. Rowling's interviews in there. I was under the impression that she wouldn't have any part of it, and I'm really glad that they did include her, at least in that that capacity. And I know there's a lot of controversy around it. It doesn't matter. Uh, it, it is. She's the creator of this entire universe. We wouldn't have it without her. And for her to not at least speak on that, I think would just really stink. And so I'm glad that she did get to have a part of that. And it's really cool getting to see a lot of the background things to the movie. It's really cool seeing some of the deleted scenes. It's really cool getting to hear some of Chris Columbus's aspect as he has gone through the movies and the other directors as well. Some of the actors and just their memories that they have. It's been really cool to see all of it. And one part in particular, when they were talking about Hagrid and the two actors, I think I talked a little bit about this last week, but it is really cool to see them talking about those things because two and a half, three months ago, we were talking about them on an episode. And so it's just really cool that they are talking about it now and we've already talked about it and you get to see a lot of the stuff we've already talked about and it kind of validates the things that I said in that episode about Hagrid and having the two actors and the way that they worked around having it and having them work together. It's just really cool. I really enjoyed it and I can't wait to finish it and just see more of these interactions between the cast coming back together and hearing some of their stories. One of the things that I am absolutely trying to do, and it is proving to be a lot more difficult than I thought it would be, is to get a hold of any of the cast members that might not have been, I don't want to say not big, because I think any part of the cast is big and they're all amazing, but I think it would be easier to get a cast member who didn't have such a large role in the series, I would love to get them on here and have a conversation with them and just talk to them about their experience while they were on set and working with all of the other cast members and just hearing some of their exciting stories and experiences while they were there. I think it would be really cool to talk to somebody about it. Hopefully, maybe one day in the future, when we get to one of the next books, it will be a possibility. I'm really trying and reaching out and trying to get a hold of people and doing what I can to absolutely meet with someone. So if by some miracle, you happen to have been on set during any of the filming of the Harry Potter movies, please get a hold of me. Common Room Talk at Gmail. Dot com. Let's set up an interview and talk. Speaking of commonroomtalk at gmail.com, we have a listener email that I would love to talk about. And it is from a listener named Emily. Thank you so much for emailing us. I absolutely love having correspondence and talking with the people who are listening. 
And this is what Emily had to say. Hello. Hello, Emily. Happy Friday. I'm on episode 13, and I am loving your podcast. Thank you so much for that. I love hearing that people are enjoying this podcast. It is 100% for you guys outside of the fact that I said it was for me and getting better at speaking, which I really would love to know if you guys have noticed a difference in my speaking from episode one to episode, I think this is episode 23. That is insane. However, Emily continues, in episode 13, you say that you've wondered why Hagrid sends Harry an owl to ask him to the hut for these. This is in regards to the meetings that Hagrid would ask Harry to. And Emily says, I think it's possibly because Hagrid knows that Harry doesn't receive mail and wants to make him feel included and or special. Hagrid probably felt similar when he was a student as well. Even in the muggle world, it's always fun as a kid to receive mail. Plus, he probably wanted to put his gift to Harry to use, that gift being Hedwig. Hagrid had bought Hedwig for Harry. Wow, there are a lot of ages in there. But he bought Hedwig for Harry as a birthday gift while they were in Diagon Alley. And that's what Emily meant by saying he probably wanted to put his gift to Harry to use. And I 100% completely agree with you. I think that the the things that you said were completely spot on. It is very exciting to receive mail as a kid, and sometimes as an adult, unless it's bills. You don't ever want to receive bills. It is still exciting to receive mail sometimes, even as an adult, but especially as a kid. And I agree. Hagrid probably also only had one person as a student mailing him, and I don't want to go into any more than that without really ruining some spoilers for what's coming up in the next few books. I could 100% see Hagrid doing that specifically to make Harry feel special, loved, included, and not so much of an outcast. We did see that back in the chapter, The Midnight Duel, there was a sentence that said, Harry hadn't had a single letter since Hagrid's note, something that Malfoy had been quick to notice, of course. Malfoy's eagle owl was always bringing him packages of sweets from home, which he opened gloatingly at the Slytherin table. And so, no, I think you are right on, Emily, with that assessment that Harry probably did feel like special or included when Hagrid did that. And so that might have been a reason why Hagrid used his owl instead of just giving him the notes so that is really cool. I think a really cool observation by you. I think that I 100% agree. And thank you again so much for emailing us here at Common Room Talk. It's a pleasure to get to read your emails and hear your kind words. I am absolutely glad that you are enjoying the podcast. Please feel free to email at any time. And if Anybody else ever has an answer to questions or you have a point that you want to make, anything that you want to just say about the series, the book, the story that we're on specifically, about me, about the show, improvements, dislikes, likes, anything, please email me, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. And fun fact, whenever I hear the name Emily, all I can think of is Thackeray Binks at the beginning of Hocus Pocus when he yells for his little sister, Emily! Anytime that I hear the name Emily, that immediately goes through my head. 
Also another great story. I am super excited for Hocus Pocus 2. And I don't know if you guys know this, there is an audiobook, and I think it is also a hard copy, but I listened to the audiobook of a sequel to the original Hocus Pocus story. I thought it was really cool. It is very cheesy in a few places, especially with like how Sarah Sanderson would say amok in the first movie, and they just had her say that over and over again in the second book. And so they definitely seem to exaggerate their personalities a little bit more in the second book. But overall, I thought it was still a really good story and has nothing to do with our story here tonight, except for the fact that they're witches and have magic. So yes, thank you, Emily, for the email. As for today, we're going to finish up the rest of the Forbidden Forest and where we left off last time. We got a good look at Filch and just who he is as a person. And the chapter ended with him taking Harry, Neville, Hermione, and Malfoy down to meet with Hagrid. And at first, Harry was relieved because he thought it was going to be super easy and simple then because they're going to be with Hagrid and it's going to be totally okay. Filch notices that relief and says, well, guess what? It's not going to be that easy. You're going into the forest tonight. Malfoy freaks out, says something about werewolves, and Filch says, well, that's your lookout, isn't it? Should have thought about werewolves before you decided to go get into trouble. And so we're actually going to start here with this interaction between Filch and Hagrid because we see that this really starts the, I want to say, relationship that we get to see between these two. We already saw earlier in the series Hagrid's thoughts about Filch briefly. However, here we get to see them face-to-face with each other, and we see that this um, relationship is the same on both sides. So... Hagrid says that it's about time. He's been waiting for half an hour already and asks if Harry and Hermione are all right. Filch says, I shouldn't be too friendly with them, Hagrid. They are here to be punished, to which Hagrid then says, that's why you're late. You've been lecturing them. It's not your place to do that. You've done your bit. I'll take over from here. And if you heard that high-pitched squeal in the background, that was Theodora yawning. And Hagrid says, that's why you're late. You've been lecturing them. It's not your place to do that. You've done your bit. I'll take over from here. And Filch says, I'll be back at dawn for what's left of them. And he turns and heads back to the castle, his lamp bobbing away in the darkness. And again, I know I made this point last week, which is, why is it that they thought the best way to teach these students a lesson for being out of bed at nighttime was to give them a detention where they're out of bed at nighttime? And not just that, Filch says... I'll be back at dawn. Why are they putting them out all night long? You are setting these kids up for failure. You're going to keep them up all night. I'm guessing this might be during the week. I would hope that maybe it's a Friday evening. Maybe they get to go into Saturday feeling tired where there's no classes. However, if it's not a Friday and they are doing this detention in what I would guess was the beginning of the week because... If we go back a few pages, we could see that a time frame is being set up. A few pages back, there's a 
paragraph that starts, Then, about a week before the exams were due to start, Harry's new resolution to not interfere into anything that didn't concern him was put to an unexpected test. This is when he saw the conversation with Quirrell and whoever it was that disappeared through the back of the room that they were in. He was assuming that it was Snape. And the thing that I want to point out was then about a week before the exams were due to start, the exams would be starting most likely on a Monday, so we could assume that this was maybe a Monday here or a Tuesday. And then after that, a few pages later, it says that the next morning notes were delivered to Harry, Hermione, and Neville at the breakfast table, and that was their detention note saying they would have detention that evening. So I'm assuming it was probably a Tuesday or Wednesday when they're doing this, which would be beginning to middle of the week. And if that's the case, and they are out of bed all night doing this detention, they're not getting any sleep, how are they being set up for success for their schooling the next day? Like, how are they supposed to stay awake during the entire day? We are talking about 11-year-old kids at this point. I don't understand why making them stay up all night in the forest is the best means of detention. However, I'm not the one in charge here, so I'm not the one who can say what is going to be best for them. Will it turn out for their good? Will it be bad for them? We'll just have to get to the end of the chapter and the rest of the book to find out. So after Hagrid and Filch have an interaction, we get to have an interaction between Malfoy and Hagrid. Malfoy was refusing to go into the forest. Hagrid says, if you want to stay at Hogwarts, you will. And Malfoy replies that this is servant stuff and not for students to do. They should be writing lines or something. Hagrid retorts with, what good is writing lines? That's not going to do anything. You need to actually do something useful. If you think your father would rather you be expelled, then get back off to the castle and go pack. Go. But Malfoy doesn't move. He looks at Hagrid furiously, but then drops his gaze. He admits defeat. Hagrid then starts addressing the group. He tells them that he doesn't want them taking any risks and that he wants them to follow him. So they make their way over to the edge of the forest. He then holds up his lamp down a narrow path and says to them, do you see that down there? There was something silvery that was shimmering in the light. And he says, that's unicorn blood. A unicorn has been hurt out here by something pretty bad. And we found another unicorn last week. We're guessing that this one is hurt and it might have to be put out of its misery. So they're going to go looking for this unicorn. And Malfoy, out of complete fear, says, and what if whatever hurt the unicorn finds us first? To which Hagrid then replies that there's nothing in the forest that'll hurt them if they're with Hagrid or Fang. And he says, keep to the path. We're going to split into two parties, follow the trail in different directions. Then on the next page, there's no writing whatsoever. It is a huge painting taking up both pages of the thick forbidden forest and it's all very dark except for two things one in the top left corner making its way from the top left diagonally down to the bottom right is a shaft of moonlight and in the top left inside of that shaft of moonlight we see what looks like might be a crow or some sort of dark bird flying up towards the top of the canopy of the trees and all that we see across this entire picture, besides what's in the lower center of the right page, which I'll talk about in a second, are just trees and grass and roots, and it's all very dark and murky looking. It is all dark colors, maybe dark blues and some blacks, except for the silvery white color used as the moonlight. 
Now, as I said, in the lower middle part of the right-hand page, you do see a very vibrant unicorn. And it is standing there as, as if it's almost like, I know this is a little bit of a spoiler for what's coming up, but I won't talk about what it is, but it looks almost like a Patronus. It looks like it is standing there admitting its own light. I said admitting, I meant emitting its own light. It is just straight silver and it has patches of darker silver to highlight the shadows on it. It is a very gorgeous picture. It paints a very dark scene for what the kids are getting ready to walk into. So they split up into the two groups. The first one is Hagrid, Harry, and Hermione. And the second one is Draco, Neville, and Fang, which is Hagrid's boarhound. Hagrid then tells them that if they get into any trouble, to shoot up red sparks from their wand, which we find out from, I believe, the movie. It might be in the book. Correct me if I'm wrong. But we find out later on in the series that Periculum is the spell that was used to shoot sparks or shoot something into the air to signify where they were at the end of the fourth book. I'm not going to give any other details than that. I just wanted to talk about the spell Periculum. And that is also confirmed by Harry Potter Wiki. If you guys want to go have a look at the spells that they have there, there is a really extensive list of spells. However, our two groups then come to a fork in the path, and that's where they split directions and head their own way. We're told that the forest itself is black and silent, and I don't know if anyone has ever walked in the woods at nighttime, but outside of hearing maybe a few birds or rustling sticks, it is very eerily quiet in the woods at nighttime. As they are walking, every once in a while, shafts of moonlight would make its way through the canopy, and it would illuminate little specks of blood here and there, the silvery-looking blood from the unicorn. As they were walking, Hagrid suddenly says, get behind that tree, and he grabs Harry and Hermione, and he hoists them up off the path and puts them behind a towering oak tree. He takes an arrow, and he fits it into his crossbow, and he's raising it up, getting ready to fire. They were all three just sitting there listening. They had heard something that sounded like it was slithering over dead leaves nearby, It honestly sounded like a cloak that was trailing along the ground. And so Hagrid's there. He's holding his crossbow up. I'm guessing that Harry and Hermione are standing behind him. And he is just looking around, trying to figure out what this is. And he says, I knew it. There's something in here that shouldn't be. Harry suggests a werewolf, to which Hagrid says, no, that wasn't a werewolf. No, it was not the unicorn either. So follow me and be careful. That should have been indicator red flag number one. Hagrid says there's something in here that shouldn't be. Why do you have the students in there? It doesn't make any sense to me. Get them out and then go explore it on your own. It is just so crazy to me. As they continued walking a little bit more quietly now, after a few steps, suddenly in the clearing ahead of them, something definitely moved. Hagrid calls, who's there? Show yourself. I am armed. And so something came into view, and they couldn't tell if it was a man or a horse. To the waist, a man with red hair and a beard, but below that, there was a horse's chestnut body with a long reddish tail. Harry and Hermione's jaws dropped. And so Hagrid, now in relief, says, oh, it's you, Ronan, how are you? And he walks forward to shake the centaur's hand. This centaur, named Ronan, 
says, Good evening to you, Hagrid. Were you going to shoot me? And Hagrid then says, You can't be too careful. And he's patting his crossbow. There's something bad that's loose here in the forest. This is Harry Potter and Hermione Granger, by the way. They're students up at the school. And he looks at them and says, This is Ronan. He is a centaur. So now we are getting our first look at another creature, centaurs. Ronan looks at the kids, asks them if they learn a lot up at the school. Hermione says, a bit. She's very timid about it. Ronan then says, a bit. Well, that's something. He looks up at the sky and says, Mars is bright tonight. Hagrid says, yeah. Listen, I'm glad we've run into you, Ronan, because there's a unicorn that's been hurt. Have you seen anything? And Ronan didn't answer immediately. He stared unblinkingly upwards and then sighed again. He then says, always the innocent are the first victims, he said. So it has been for ages past. So it is now. Hagrid then again says, yeah, but have you seen anything, Ronan, anything unusual? To which Ronan repeats, Mars is bright tonight. Unusually bright. But Hagrid says, I was meaning anything unusual a bit nearer home, so you haven't noticed anything strange? Yet again, Ronan took a while to answer, and at last he said, The forest hides many secrets. Then there was a movement in the trees behind Ronan, which made Hagrid raise his bow again, but it was only a second centaur. Hagrid then greets this centaur and says, Hello, Bane. Are you all right? And this centaur says, Good evening, Hagrid. I hope you are well. He says, Well enough. Look, I've just been asking Ronan, Have you guys seen anything odd in here lately? There's a unicorn that's been injured. Would you know anything about it? Bane walked over to stand next to Ronan. He looks skywards, and he also says, Mars is bright tonight. Hagrid says, We've heard. Well, if either of you do see anything, let me know, won't you? We'll be off then. So Hagrid, Harry, and Hermione all leave the clearing, and they're staring over their shoulders back at Ronan and Bane until the trees blocked their view. To which Hagrid then says, never, he says this very ir irritably, never try and get a straight answer out of a centaur. Ruddy stargazers, not interested in anything closer than the moon. Hermione asks Hagrid if there are many of the centaurs in here, and he says there's a fair few. They keep to themselves mostly, but they're good enough about turning up if I ever want a word. They're deep-minded centaurs. They know things just don't let on much. To which Harry asks, do you think that there was a centaur that we had heard earlier? Hagrid replies, does that sound like centaur hooves to you? Not whatever we heard earlier is what has been killing the unicorns. Never heard anything like it before. If that's the case, that blows my mind that out of all of the years that Hagrid has been at Hogwarts, he has never heard a cloak dragging along the ground across leaves before. So I think probably a small little error there. I'm sure Hagrid probably has heard that noise before. He's probably heard his own cloak dragging across the ground before. Maybe it was a noise that we didn't get described to us properly. I'm not sure. But we did get to learn a fair good bit about centaurs there, that they're deep-minded creatures and they don't let on too much we saw that they were as haggard put them stargazers they showed up and immediately looked up was talking about mars being bright so they're stargazers they're looking up that's what they talk about we see that they're deep-minded creatures and haggard enjoys having at least conversations with them it seems as they continued walking Hermione abruptly grabbed Hagrid's arm and said, Hagrid, look, red sparks, the others are in trouble. 
Hagrid says, you two wait here, stay on the path, I'll come back for you. So this is also strange to me. Hagrid knows that there's something dangerous in the forest here. And he sees red sparks, so he knows that the other ones are in trouble. And he then leaves the other two kids by themselves. You see why I'm just so confused here. I know Hagrid's intent is good. I know that he cares deeply for them, and he wouldn't want to intentionally put them in danger, I think. Yet he has them out there in the forest. However, it's just weird to me that he knows the other ones are in danger and then decides to leave those two by themselves. So Hagrid goes crashing away through the woods, and Hermione and Harry are talking to each other about if they think that they're hurt. Harry says he doesn't care if Malfoy has been hurt, but he doesn't want anything to happen to Neville because it's their fault that he's there in the first place. And it says that time was just dragging by. They were sitting there waiting, listening for anything. And then finally, at last, there was a great crunching noise that announced Hagrid's return. Malfoy and Neville and Fang were all with him. And Hagrid was angry. It seemed as if Malfoy had decided to sneak up behind Neville and grab him for a joke, to which Neville then decided to shoot sparks up into the air. Hagrid, in his anger, says, We'll be lucky to catch anything now with the racket you two are making. Right, we're changing groups. Neville, you're going to stay with me and Hermione. Harry, you go with Fang and this idiot. I'm sorry, but he'll have a harder time scaring you, and we've got to get this done. So, we have two new groups now. Hagrid, Neville, and Hermione... And the other group is Harry, Malfoy, and Fang. So Harry's group then sets off into the heart of the forest. And they're walking for about a half hour. And they're getting deeper and deeper into it. And they then came to a clearing where they stopped. And they, Harry said, look. And he's holding out his arm to stop Malfoy. And I think this is really cool to look at. This dynamic that not only is... Harry leading Malfoy here. He's also stopping him. He's keeping Malfoy behind him. We already know that Harry is very brave. We, we know that he has overcome a lot already. And so it's really cool to see Harry kind of step up and take this leadership role, but also a protective role. He's putting himself in a protective position in front of Malfoy. So he stops Malfoy from moving forward, and they're both looking into this clearing. It says that something bright white was gleaming on the ground, and they kept on inching closer to get a better view of it. It was the unicorn all right, and it was dead. Harry's thinking to himself that he had never seen anything so beautiful and sad at the same time. Its long legs were sticking out at all angles from where it had fallen, and its mane was spread pearly white on the dark leaves. Now I want to give a quick heads up this next part. If you do have small kids listening, you might want to not have them listen, depending on where you are with allowing them to hear certain things. This next part is a little bit graphic in the sense of what happens with some blood. And yeah, so if you are having your kids listen to this and you don't want them to hear this part, this is a good part to maybe have them walk out of the room or something for a second. And so, yeah, a quick heads up. So there's Harry and Malfoy. Fang is with them. They're at the edge of this clearing, and they're looking at this dead unicorn laying on the ground. It is silvery white. Its mane is strewn out across the leaves. And as they're standing there, Harry goes to take a step forward, and then that same 
slithering sound starts again, except this time they actually see something from the bushes on one side. It comes crawling out from the bush and is slithering and stalking across the ground towards the unicorn. It reaches the unicorn and it, it lowers its head over the wound in the animal side and it starts to drink the blood from the unicorn's body. And so Malfoy freaks out. He screams and he takes off. He, he books it out of there. Fang is following right behind him. The hooded figure looks up from the unicorn. It looks directly at Harry. There's blood dribbling down the front of its robes. It got up to its feet and it started swiftly moving towards Harry. Harry couldn't move because he was so scared. Then there was a pain that pierced his forehead. It was unlike anything he had felt so far in his life. It made him stagger backwards. He, he felt blinded almost from the pain of this. And then he heard some noise behind him, some sort of like galloping, and something jumped clean over him, and it started charging at this hooded figure. But that wasn't the end of it. The pain in Harry's forehead was so bad that he had fallen to his knees, and it took a minute or two to finally pass. When he finally looked up, a centaur was standing there in front of him, and the hooded figure was gone. But this centaur wasn't Ronan or Bane. This one looked a lot younger. He had white blonde hair and a Palomino body. But the centaur looked at Harry and asked him, Are you all right? And he starts to help Harry up to his feet. Harry says, Yes, thank you. What was that? But the centaur wouldn't answer him, or at least didn't answer him at first. He says that he had astonishingly blue eyes like pale sapphires, this being the centaur, not Harry. We know Harry's eyes are green. But the centaur's eyes lingered on Harry's scar for just a moment on Harry's forehead. And he says, you're the Potter boy. You had better get back to Hagrid. The forest is not safe at this time, especially for you. Can you ride? It will be quicker this way. And he added at the end, my name is Ferenzi. So now we get to meet a third centaur. And if you are somebody who has only went through the movies, this is the first centaur that you have met and most likely going to be the only centaur you ever meet, as I don't believe outside of the centaurs that we see in one of the later movies without trying to give too much away. They have zero personality or individuality in that. There's no main centaur that stands out then. They're literally, in all honesty, the way the movie treats the centaurs in that movie, that's a weird way of saying that sentence, the way that the centaurs are treated in that movie, it is almost as if like somebody like Dolores Umbridge wrote the script where they gave zero actual like distinguishing lines or individuality to the centaurs themselves. They don't get to stand out. They don't have a good big role like we actually see them take in the books. And so it's kind of ironic that we see what happens in that situation. And that's a whole nother tangent that we're not going to get into right now. And so I apologize. But back to this, this might be the first centaur you're meeting if you're a movies only person as the other scenes with the centaur didn't take place in the movies and the next scene with the centaurs also will not take place or did not take place in the movies as they have already happened and are not going to happen again. That is all really confusing and I hope you all understand that. <laughs> However, Ferenzi helps Harry up onto his back and then there was another sound of galloping coming from the other side of the clearing. Then more centaurs make their way in. Ronan and Bane came 
bursting through the trees, their flanks heaving, and they were sweaty. And they're very upset. They see Ferenzi, and he has a human on his back. And they even say, you have a human on your back. Have you no shame? Are you a common mule? And Ferenzi says, do you realize who this is? This is the Potter boy. The quicker he leaves the forest, the better. And even more, you see that Bane is further frustrated as he says, what have you been telling him? Remember, Frenzy, we are sworn not to set ourselves against the heavens. Have we not read what is to come in the movements of the planets? And Ronan is here pawing the ground nervously. I'm sure Frenzy thought he was acting for the best, he said in his gloomy voice. Bane, in a fit of anger, kicks his back legs out. He says, for the best, what is that to do with us? Centaurs are concerned with what has been foretold. It is not our business to run around like donkeys after stray humans in our forest. Then Ferenzi rears up on his hind legs in anger so that Harry had to actually grab onto Ferenzi's shoulders. Not That's a hard thing to say, Ferenzi's shoulders. Go ahead, I dare you, try and say that. Harry had to grab onto Ferenzi's shoulders in order not to fall off. But Ferenzi then points at the unicorn and says, Do you not see that unicorn? Do you not understand why it was killed? Or have the planets not let you in on that secret? I set myself against what is lurking in this forest, Bane. Yes, with humans alongside me, if I must. And so he then whisks around with Harry clutching on as best as he can, and they plunged off into the trees, leaving Ronan and Bane there. So we see Ferenzi is very upset as are the other two centaurs. We see that there is some sort of conflict in their interests there. They are not seeing eye to eye for whatever reason. We're learning a little bit more about the centaurs here, and what we just saw here unfold is actually something that is going to play a huge part later on in this series. And I, if you guys want to keep track of these kind of things, I don't know if you're one of those people that would like to write something down or, or notate it somewhere. This is one of those things that like, if you want to remember something really interesting, remember this scene, because as I have went through the series and came to what is eventually going to happen with centaurs, this is something that I have forgot. And this is some really cool, like foreshadowing of things to come without any spoilers being involved. Now, Harry and Ferenzi had been moving for so long that it was now quiet and still dark. It's still nighttime in the forest, but it is quiet now. Ferenzi slows to a walk, and Harry is really just confused as to why Bane was so angry, and he asks Ferenzi why. Ferenzi answers this, and there's a little bit of a conversation here between Harry and Ferenzi. Ferenzi says, Harry Potter, do you know what unicorn blood is used for? Harry says, no, we've only used the horn and the tail in our potions classes. And he says, this is because it is a monstrous thing to slay a unicorn. Only one who has nothing to lose and everything to gain would commit such a crime. The blood of a unicorn will keep you alive even if you are an inch from death, but at a terrible price. You have slain something pure and defenseless to save yourself, and you will have but a half-life, a cursed life, from the moment the blood touches your lips. And so Harry is then staring up at Ferenzi. He can only see the back of his head as he's still writing on the back of him. And he says, but who would be that desperate? If you're going to be cursed forever, death's better, isn't it? And Ferenzi agreed with him. He says, it is, unless all you need is to stay alive long enough to drink something else. 
something that will bring you back to full strength and power, something that will mean you can never die. Mr. Potter, do you know what is hidden in the school at this very moment? And Harry says, yes, the Sorcerer's Stone, of course, the Elixir of Life, but I don't understand who. And Ferenzi says, can you think of nobody who has waited many years to return to power, who has clung to life awaiting their chance? And then to read for what really it says here word for word, it was as though an iron fist had clenched suddenly around Harry's heart. And he starts thinking about some of the words that Hagrid said. Some say he died. Cod's wallop, in my opinion, don't know if he had enough human left in him to die. Harry then asks Ferenzi, do you mean that was Vol? And then he's cut off. Because somebody says, Harry, Harry, are you all right? And it was Hermione as she was running towards him down the path. Hagrid was puffing along behind her. Harry says, I'm fine. It's okay. The unicorn's dead, Hagrid. It's in the clearing back there. And then Ferenzi says, this is where I leave you. You are safe now. Harry slides off of his back. Ferenzi then addresses him one last time. Good luck, Harry Potter. The planets have been read wrongly before now, even by centaurs. I hope this is one of those times. And so he turns around, and then he canters back into the depths of the forest. And there is so much there. There is so much detail to talk about in all of this, and it's going to be hard to try and cover all of it. The first thing I want to point out is that we do see that despite what Ronan and Bane thought, Ferenzi didn't really tell Harry any secrets. He gave up a little bit of information, but allowed Harry to work it out on his own. So I don't think that Ferenzi did anything terribly wrong there. Then we see what is actually going on in this moment, as we see that Harry was working out for himself who would have been in that clearing with him. And that is huge when we understand the weight of that circumstance and how close Harry probably just came to dying again. And the question would be, would he have died? And can we navigate that conversation just yet without spoiling any thing and so we won't navigate that conversation for just now and we'll leave it at that just know that harry figured out who was in this clearing and we know what that person was trying to do he was using the unicorn blood to stay alive that's as of right now the only reason why somebody would do what this thing was doing and it seems as if forenzi has helped harry tie in the reasoning why a person or thing would drink unicorn's blood if they had something better to look forward to. And I think that is exactly what Harry is now working on in his head. So, after Ferenzi takes off back into the forest, there is a lapse of time. It says that Ron had fallen asleep in the dark common room waiting for them to return, and so he shouted something about Quidditch fouls when they finally woke him up. And in a matter of seconds, he was wide-eyed as Harry began to tell him and Hermione what had happened in the forest. So I'm thinking that what we can see here and what we could probably conclude is that Harry did not tell Hagrid about any of that. It was simply them walking back. And we didn't see Harry say anything 
in that moment before Ferenzi left, when he first saw Hagrid, he told him that the unicorn's dead in, in the clearing back there. And so I don't know why he wouldn't say why or what to Hagrid, but we do know that he waited to say anything because he also told Hermione the same time that he was telling Ron everything that happened. And so Harry is pacing around. He can't sit down. He's so anxious. And he's trying to figure out and work out verbally out loud with Ron and Hermione what is going on. And so he says, Snape wants the stone for Voldemort. And Voldemort's waiting in the forest. And all this time we thought Snape just wanted to get rich. Ron says, stop saying the name. But Harry wasn't listening. Ferenzi saved me, but he shouldn't have done. Bane was furious. He was talking about interfering with what the planets say is going to happen. They must show that Voldemort's coming back. Bane thinks Ferengi should have let Voldemort kill me. I suppose that's written in the stars as well. Will you stop saying the name, Ron hissed. However, he still continues. So, all I've got to do is wait for Snape to steal the stone. Then, Voldemort will be able to come and finish me off. Well, I suppose Bane will be happy. And Hermione, at this point, though she looked really frightened had some words of comfort for Harry. She says, Harry, everyone says that Dumbledore is the only one you know who was ever afraid of. With Dumbledore around, you know who won't touch you. Anyway, who says that centaurs are right? It sounds like fortune telling to me, and Professor McGonagall says that is a very imprecise branch of magic. So that's the end of the dialogue for the chapter. Harry is working through this trifecta of Snape, Quirrell, and Voldemort and exactly what is going on here. He's also trying to figure out exactly what's going on with the centaurs and what the planets are doing or saying in regard to the whole situation. And Ron is freaking out about Harry saying Voldemort and then Hermione dropping this really good nugget of information about you-know-who, Voldemort, being afraid of Dumbledore, and then something that also becomes much more prevalent later on in the series, Professor McGonagall says that divination or fortune-telling is a very imprecise branch of magic. And so as the sky was starting to brighten up as it is now becoming morning, they decide to go to bed exhausted. But the surprises for that night wasn't quite over just yet. Harry goes to pull back the sheets for his bed, and he finds his invisibility cloak folded neatly underneath his sheets, and there was a note that was pinned to them, just in case. So who is it that brought the invisibility cloak back? Was it the same person who gave it to him the first time? It is a mystery, and with that mystery, we will end this chapter. So thank you guys so much again for listening for contributing for the emails please continue reach out to me commonroomtalk at gmail.com if you are liking what you are hearing if you enjoy the podcast if you enjoy listening to me talk about harry potter please tell your friends about it get them to listen to it like it share it on social media leave a review and yeah please just help me spread the word about the podcast i would love to have as many listeners as possible get to experience this way of going through the series and hopefully enjoy a new way of going through this world together and so yeah thank you guys again so much for listening you all are wonderful again my name's tony i'm your host and this is common room talk <laughs>